Welcome to the Relentless Pursuit Podcast. A great task remains, and we all have a role we can play. But what do we do with the questions we have about missions, about walking with God, about ourselves? Well, here's a space for us to wrestle and discover together. We don't have to have it all figured out to take our next step. Today, we were going to kick off this podcast by hearing from one of my favorite people and boss, Joe. After mobilizing on the traveling team, Joe began serving on a church planting team in Central Asia for a number of years. When he came back to the States, Joe became the director of mobilization for Pioneers here in Orlando for nearly a decade. Joe has an incredible wife, Sarah, and two young boys who are as Star Wars obsessed as they could be. So we're going to kick off this episode by me asking Joe just how many lightsaber battles he has per day with his sons. (laughs) That's a great question. Uh, I think the short answer, if you ask them, is not enough. Yes. probably average somewhere between three on a very, very slow day, which is not hitting the bar that they expect, uh, upwards to... Double digits, uh, easily, 15, 20 a day. Um, And basically, I run out of steam before they run out every time. And I I don't get to be the good guy. I am always the bad guy. So I always get the red lightsaber and the bad guys always lose. So I affirm what they want to do and their overall morality. uh, But it's hard to lose every single day, multiple times a day. uh, But it's a great joy as well. Yeah, that's a big character builder for you to – take on the role of the villain there. Um, Well, thanks for getting that question out of the way. I know it was burning, but um, okay. So, you know, actually another pertinent question we have around this idea of risk. So Joe, we want to know what was it like for you embarking on global missions and even more radical obedience to God as he called you abroad to leverage your life? Um, Did you have any gut feelings that it was risky to take that next step? For sure. Yeah. And and I think that um, as I reflect back to especially my mid-college years, um, just thinking through, th- there were a lot of fears involved and there were a lot of risks, uh, b- big risks and little risks. Um, one fear is obviously, I mean, the, the place that I ended up going to, I ended up moving to a place in Central Asia, uh, to the country of Afghanistan. And this was in the early 2000s. And so there was literally uh, a war going on. Mm. It was before 9-11 had happened. The Taliban was in control of Afghanistan. And so it was a dangerous place. And interestingly enough for me, the physical danger actually wasn't the the hardest one for me to kind of come to grips with. Now, as I lived there later, it was kind of a daily reality. Um, and, And some days it creeped up and creeped its head more than initially. But initially... The bigger fears for me were not physical fears of of loss or what if I die or anything like that. I, I feel like I had I'd had a steady diet of missionary biographies and good theology uh, was being invested in at a good church, and so that was less the fear that was there for me in terms of risk. Um, but but the ones that were there were this whole idea of am I really hearing God clearly? Um, wow. And it was easy for me to just wonder again, because I, I just get in my own head and I can try to convince myself of a thousand things. And, and just this sense of, I, I think that I want to take this step. I think God is leading me to go to this place. That's, that's not a place that most people would want to go or most people would want you to go. 
And so the question of, am I really hearing God clearly? And um, we were praying the other day and uh, my wife was telling our boys that when daddy prays, he likes to pray for help a lot. And, and I think that's been a consistent thing for me. I, I heard uh, a missionary on the field, I think it was Psalm 116, six, it says, the Lord helps the simple. And I think that's me. Uh, just praying, God, if there's any way possible that I will miss this, I will miss it. So could you make this so absolutely clear that I can't possibly miss that this is where you're leading me? And so sure enough, that's that's really what happened. You know, I had a day where I was on the road with another ministry that I was a part of, was trying to decide what do I do next? And there's this divergence in the roads and um, asked God to send a clear sign, not that he had to. But um, that morning we roll into Krispy Kreme of all places and are greeted by a woman who is actually from Afghanistan, who then invites us into her home and makes us fresh bread the next morning and tells us about her life in Afghanistan. And it was it was the push that I needed to get over that fear of, am I really hearing God clearly? But I think the biggest one for me, as I reflect, was really it wasn't the fear of dying. It was the fear of, of mishearing God. It was the fear of, can God really use me? And and wrestling with that question of, so what if I get over there and I'm useless, right? I, I didn't mind, like, maybe I'm going to die. That That's fine, right? But what if I get over there and I, like, embarrass Jesus? Like, like I don't, I'm not so big as to think that I could ruin the Great Commission forever. But I'm like, I feel like I could probably set it back by a generation or two, you know? And so this fear of, could God really use me overseas? And so that was one of the most interesting and, and uh, really just places where I saw God show up again and again and again. Just this reminder that he doesn't use the prettiest vase. He uses the one with chips in it so that his light can shine through it. And so absolutely uh, risks involved, lots of big ones, lots of little ones. Uh, but really just kind of realizing too that it's not one moment, which is what I'm good at. I like the one moment, the one big dramatic decision, the one romantic thing. But really, it's it's a day-to-day um, choosing to trust God in the midst of risk, in the midst of uncertainty every single day. And in a sense, it's not just the, the call to relentless pursuit. It's, it's the call to discipleship. That's what Jesus asks every single person that follows him to do. Oh, my word. Okay. For our note takers out there, they probably have steam coming off the pages right now. Joe, you covered so much right there. And one of the things that, I mean, stood out to me as you were sharing is just this idea of not only the physical risk that was on your mind, but so much more of just this overall, am I hearing from God? Am I connected to God? Do do I have the relationship with him that I pray that I do, that that I I am quiet enough that I hear from him? And wow, what a burden we might carry as we think through like, am I going to disappoint Jesus? Am I going to disappoint my father if I'm choosing something wrong? Or even something that I think, I know I think through often when it comes to global missions or just where God might send me, but am I going to embarrass myself or my family if I you know, quote unquote, make the wrong decision or something. So I think that's such a big deal as we think through this idea of risk in in following Jesus and, and hearing the Father's voice and and embarking on where he might send us. Thank you for being transparent about that. That was that's incredible for us to start up um, start off with. So okay, a little bit deeper then. Um 
okay, so what did you have to give up as you took that first step? Um, And actually, while you're at that, can you tell us a bit more about um, what is a world Christian? I think we maybe hear this kind of thrown around a little bit. So so kind of what are we referring to when we refer to ourselves as being a world Christian? Yeah, well, not a worldly Christian, right? There's right, right. plenty of those. Yeah, um, yeah. But I, I think for me, the way that I, I define it is that it, a world Christian is not somebody who's more godly, more spiritual, has their life more together, that Jesus is more pleased with. Um, they're just somebody for whom God's global agenda and, and his worldwide plan um, impacts their daily life and impacts the decisions that they make in, in terms of how they spend their lives. It doesn't mean that every single person who's a world Christian is a missionary. Hmm. It, it's far less a geographic issue. Now, they may end up being missionaries. That may be part of it. But what it means is recognizing that my life is not just about myself and my life is not just about my own agenda and my own desires, but recognizing that God has a worldwide global agenda that he invites all of his disciples to play a part in, whether that's through giving or praying or going or reaching out to the internationals who are in our midst to say that my life is um, sought to be in alignment with what God is doing around the world. And so that for me is kind of how I would define a, a world Christian. Um, in, in terms of what I had to give up, you know, I don't know. I, and, and I don't mean to, you know, I think there's a famous uh, missionary, I think it was David Livingston, who said, when I consider what Jesus gave up for me, I, I never suffered, I never sacrificed, and and I'm nowhere near that level. Uh but it's almost hard for me to say, like, this is what I gave up. There were little things along the way. I remember one of the first ones that was really kind of easy, and it was a big deal when I was in college, is I had a friend in college who he didn't have a lot of friends, not because he couldn't. He just, he was very careful with who he let into his circle. And we became really, really close friends. And he asked me to be uh, a part of his wedding. And I was honored. I was thrilled. Uh, and and I had to tell him no, because mm-hmm. there was this opportunity to go to Afghanistan uh, for the first time. And the dates that he was planning to get married um, fell on the dates that I was going to be gone. And so I had to say, man, I, I'm so honored. I would love to be there. I, I can't do that. Um, so then he calls me back a week later and he tells me that they changed their wedding date so that I could be in their wedding, which is absolutely kind of astounding. (laughs) Uh, So then uh, I got another phone call from the organization saying, hey, we messed up our travel dates. And uh, actually, these are your travel dates. So I had to cancel again. And uh, I didn't get to be part of his wedding. Um, But, you know, there are are small losses and big losses. I think that um, I had to give up some dreams. Um, But the, the interesting thing uh, for me, is that sometimes when you give up a dream, um, actually God gives back something better. Uh, for me, I was a literature major, and I had the dream since I was a, a sophomore of being a college professor. And uh, that was kind of my track for life. I had professors who said, man, you you were great at this. You could do this. And they were kind of arguing over where am I going to get my PhD from, right? Whose alma mater will I go to? And, uh, and doctor didn't sound too bad. Um, and so 
I was going to do good things in the church, but I kind of set myself on that journey and then ultimately had to come to a place where I felt like, is, is God really leading me um, to take this step or not? And I remember there were literal nights where I would spend equal amounts of time on the pioneers.org website as I did on the Duke University website, looking at, do I enroll in graduate school or do I take this step? And um, the amazing thing to me is that as I laid that down and, uh, and moved to Afghanistan, one of the neediest places in the world, the first day that I was there, uh, the person with the, the NGO that we were partnering with said, hey, we, we have this weird opportunity and we don't know if you know anybody that could be helpful with this, but we, we actually need somebody who can step in at this local university and teach literature to Afghan college students. Wow. And I was just floored, you know, and they're like, what, do you know somebody? And so I literally spent the first third of the semester uh, teaching Afghan Muslim college students, Jonathan Edwards and Ann Bradstreet and Cotton Mather and Puritan theology, basically, because my Muslim boss told me to. And so the reality is, um, although it didn't always feel like it at the time, looking back now, I realized that, that whatever things I laid down, they are nothing in comparison to what I was able to pick up as a result of it. Oh, Joe, can you say that one more time? The things that you lose, I mean, God's plans are just so much better. I think that's what it comes down to, ultimately. Mm. Am I going to trust my small plans, my small dreams, the things that I can fit in my own hands, or will I open them and trust that God has something better? It doesn't mean easier, yeah. necessarily. Yeah. It's it's harder. It will almost always be harder, right? Uh, but uh, I can't imagine how small my life would feel if I hadn't said yes uh, to those things in spite of my own fears. Uh, yeah. Something that a friend of mine said was, don't doubt in the dark what God has made clear in the light. And I think just being willing to say, let me walk in what I know and and to take the next step um, has made all the difference for me. Absolutely. I, gosh, my head is spinning right now with, um, with all of this. I mean, so as you were making kind of that exchange of like, I just picture open hands from what you're describing, Joe, of I'm going to offer you this, God, my my dreams, these things that I feel so passionate about. I, you know, I, I, I want to use my college degree and even go further in my education, but I'm going to trust that as you lead me, there will be immeasurably more waiting on the other side of, of that big yes. I love that you said that it's like this yes that you gave God. Well, um, and to be honest, it, it wasn't one yes. Yeah. Right? And it wasn't just hands wide open consistently and forever. Yeah. There was an opening and a clenching and an opening and a clenching and God in his mercy just continually um, gave grace, I think, in real ways for the openings to outweigh the clenchings. Totally. And um, it was more him than me. I can tell you that. Wow. Um, I think there's something else we want to know kind of in weaved within this story, woven. I don't know how you say that, but uh, word on the street is somewhere in the process of you reaching the unreached, you became a pizza delivery guy. Uh, folks, if you didn't hear that, the vice president of mobilization for pioneers delivered pizzas to reach the unreached. Joe, we we need the details here. 
Yeah, uh, all things to all people. <laughs> no, um, we um, so we uh, fast forward a few years, had gotten married, and um, found an Afghan loving woman, and moved to Afghanistan. And um, it, it was hard. It was really hard when we were there. There were hard things that we experienced when we were there. Uh, there were stresses. There were trauma. We we lost friends who were who were killed uh, living there. And when we came back, we just needed some help. Um, and so there was a a program that's designed to help missionaries process through trauma and grief and stuff. And so we went to this uh, program. And uh, and when they were done, they they issue a report on kind of how you're doing and and what might be helpful. And um, our uh, leadership at our church read the report, and they said, "Wow, this is this is intense. We we really think um, what would be most helpful for you guys with where you are would be for you to take a step completely back from ministry, and um, and just go get a job for a while, and, and just um, you know just to see how that sits." And uh, we thought that that was a terrible, terrible, terrible idea. <laughs> um, and, um, and and I still remember I was sitting with our our lead pastor, our executive pastor, and just saying, I I, I don't get this. I, I understand kind of why some people think this might be helpful, but like even the leadership was divided on whether or not it was a good idea or not. And I just said, this just seems like a bad idea. And I remember he looked at me and he was so calmly and so gently. He just said, Well, you know, Joe, it's 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 not it's not always about what feels good. Submission doesn't always feel good. Yeah. Wow. And I, we had friends who were like, dude, I would have left that church. And But for us, it just kind of came down to what do we believe about the church? And, um, and do we trust their leadership over our lives or not? And so I still remember. So the, the idea was, okay, you need to go get a job for six months, right? And this was, you know, not so long after the economy had crashed, um, and so we're going out. It's a hard time to find a job. And then I have to be in integrity here. And so if they make an offer, I have to say, like, listen, I'm looking I'm not looking like how long do you see yourself in this role? Well, we're looking to move back to Afghanistan in six to nine months. Right. And so it was slim pickings. And I remember driving down the road and uh, seeing the sign at Papa John's saying delivery drivers wanted. And so um, I it called rolled to in, you, so to speak. They called to me. I <laughs> rolled in, and uh, and I'm doing the application, and the manager is just looking there with this look on his face, and he's just absolutely befuddled by the whole thing. And he's like, "Dude, you speak three languages. What? Why are you here?" And I'm like, "Bro, you need a delivery driver, and I need a job. Are we going to do this or not?" <laughs> and so, and it was good, you know. It was well, it was it was terrible, uh, <laughs> but. I appreciate one, the honesty. Well, one, there's nothing wrong with honest work. There's nothing wrong with hard work. There's there's nothing I'm too good to be a pizza delivery guy. It's like I'm providing for my family and there's nobility in that, number one. Uh, n- number two, man, it sure does give me an appreciation for being able to do what I do today and and the fact that I, I absolutely love my job. And so, yeah, it's... Um, and then as the Lord led and we we took this job, there, there was a span where I was both uh, the vice president-elect for Pioneers uh, USA and also your friendly neighborhood uh, Papa John's delivery guy. Uh, so not easy, uh, not pleasant, uh, but good. And that's really yeah. just a lot of how it goes. 
Well, there's so much there, Joe, because I love this. This ties back to what you said even just before of we we might go back and forth if I'm open handed and then I'm my hand my fists are clenched and I uh, perhaps it's it it always feels kind of glamorous and, and joyful to walk with God and then there's times where wow I'm. I smell like pizza and my car smells like pizza and I'm tired. And But all of that was this story unfolding for you of walking with God through the the, the peaks, the, the mountaintops, and then the valleys and, and letting God heal you and bring healing and rest, but then also send you. And it just sounds like this, I mean, for not to be I guess overly cheesy about this, but just this this journey, this great journey that God was walking you through. Um to continue to bring you and invite you into his glory and to be a part of that. And whether it was pizza or being a vice president or being in the field, I mean, you were experiencing that all the way through. And I, yeah, I think that's that's encouraging for anyone out there who feels like, you know, their nine to five job isn't noble or it won't contribute to them becoming more submissive to God or or walking with him. Um, I love that. And well, and even furthermore then, you were to go back a little bit. You were in your twenty somethings as you first embarked um, toward the mission field. So, what in the heck did your parents say? What were your friends saying at the time? Because I'm sure to them they're seeing something like, okay, so Joe is saying he loves the God of the Bible. He trusts His Word. He's walking with Jesus, and now he wants to walk into the mouth of the beast, so to speak, by leaving for Afghanistan right after nine eleven. So essentially, they're seeing danger flashing all around you, and you're saying, let's do this. So can we hear more about that? Yeah, it was an interesting time, um, and there were interesting conversations. And let me be honest, I did not handle them uh, tremendously well uh, early on um, because I, I was pretty dogmatic, I think, and a little bit prideful, a lot prideful uh, some days. I remember my grandmother calling me and just saying, who's this sweet Mississippi woman just saying, well, darling, I, I just, I just don't understand why you have to go there. And it just sounds so dangerous. And I wish that this was not true, but in uh, the moment, Joe, how did that feel to hear that on the other end of that phone call? You know, I, I I had resolved myself. And so the emotional side of it, I was fine with a little bit. I had kind of steeled myself. Uh, but it, to let you know how, how much so, I took my grandmother, my actual grandmother. I actually literally did this. I took her to Revelation 6-2, where it says, And how long, O Lord, you know, the, the martyrs, how long shall we cry out until our numbers? And this is until our number is complete. And I said, See, Grammy? Um, there's a number of martyrs that is out there. And if I meant to be one of them, I meant to be one of them. And that's just kind of how it goes. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> not, not the best grandson moment and, and, and somewhat dubious uh, interpersonally, if not theologically. Um, but, you know, as I matured uh, and had further conversations, it, it kind of became more, you know, just this high idea of second Corinthians, you know, that the, the love of Christ compels me. Um, but they didn't get it. You know, my, my, my father, uh, I think he best kind of interpreted it through kind of a humanistic lens of like doing good for people. And, um, he was just astounded by it. But what was interesting to see was to see the shifts over time. Um, I remember I was, I'd been in Afghanistan and was moving back to Afghanistan now. And, um, 
I remember we were having lunch uh, in the airport. He he came into the airport. Um, I came out past security. We had lunch as I was on my way back. And he just, I remember it dawned on him for a minute. And he just said, wow, it, it seems like you really kind of have a bug for these people. And I'm like, well, you think? And, and it went from, I want nothing to do with this. Uh, to me saying, well, you know, if, if you want to come visit me, Pop, there's a place in, you know, Dubai is really nice and you can come visit me and I'll come out and we can hang, hang out to um, by the tail end of our time, him asking questions and saying, so if I wanted to come visit, what, what would that look like? And so just to say, um, yeah, there was everything from, hey, I don't believe this, but I support you because I want you to be happy to you are an absolute idiot for doing this um, to kind of everywhere in between. And so it was really pretty fun to see the, um, yeah, j just the, the, the process of God. Um, I think over time, them seeing my commitment to this, that it wasn't wavering um, to them beginning to care a little bit about the things that I cared about as well. Um, so it definitely wasn't easy, um, but God gave grace. And, and there's just a place where I just have to say, look, I understand that you don't understand this. And I understand that you want good for me. And I understand that you think this might be the worst idea in the world. But ultimately, this is where I feel like God is leading me. And that has to count for more than anything else in my life. Wow. I can't imagine, I guess, what that would have just felt like to, to you know, look your parents in the eyes and feel like what you're receiving from them is essentially disappointment or just confusion when in your heart you feel so much affirmation from God. And so for you to get to experience peace on kind of the, the back end of that and to see kind of your parents grow to even trust God. And, and I love that you said that this whole thing had to be saturated with God's grace. You had to receive God's grace for yourself, knowing you weren't always going to be able to um, explain what God was was doing in your life or, or where you felt like he was leading you and how to have those hard conversations. But you were willing for God to, to let you have those conversations. So Thank you for sharing that. And I know in the future, we'll, you know, on this podcast, we'll cover more about, man, how do we communicate to others what God's doing in our life and, and kind of have those harder conversations with family even as God leads us. But thank you for kind of inviting us into what that looks like and um, kind of pioneering in that way. Joe, this has been quite the ride, but sadly, we need to land this plane. Um, so now, obviously, the convo won't end here. There will certainly be a chance for folks to ask questions and have some dialogue through our socials and website and so forth. But send us out with this for any of the 20-somethings or 30-somethings or whoever's listening out there today. Uh, what parting last words would you give them? What would you send them off hearing from someone who truly has been there? Yeah. Um, I, I think that, you know, a, a couple of things that I would just say would be um, that you might be surprised at the kind of person that God uses. I mean, I, I think about that a lot, you know, like who, who is it that God uses? Uh, what, what does it really mean uh, for somebody to be a pioneer missionary? And, and the reality is um, God is more committed to this thing than we are. And so, I would just say, 
don't discount yourself um, or say or imagine that you don't have a contribution to make. Um, I've met so many amazing people, godly, unassuming people who say, I didn't know if God could use me overseas. I didn't know that God could use my degree in teaching. I didn't know that God could use my degree um, in a horticulture. I didn't know that God could use a businessman. I didn't know that God could use an artist. I didn't know that God could use a dancer, you know, all, and on and on and on. Um, so I think just first is just don't just discount yourself um, out of the possibility of who God might use overseas. And I think the other thing is just focus on the next step. I think sometimes for me, I can uh, paralyze myself because I'm trying to figure out how all of this fits together. And and really what I want more than anything is the spotlight that, that blasts forward five or 10 or 15 or 20 years of my life to know exactly how things are going to go, to know exactly how it all spells out, because then I'll know that this is the path I should take. And the reality is God doesn't usually give us a spotlight. He gives us a lamp and it, it lights just the step in front of us. The reality is if I saw the spotlight, I would probably freak out and run the other direction, right? Because I'm prone to fear. Um, but God in his grace, th there's a grace and, and there's a gift to us when God gives us only a lamp. Because it means that while we can't always see super far into the future, it also highlights the fact, literally, that we're only responsible for the next step. And so I think what I would say to people who are listening is, first, don't discount yourself immediately. Um, God can use anybody. If he can use a literature major, he can use anybody. Um, and the second is, you don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have yourself all put together. Um there's a processes, there are trainings to kind of help gift you and equip you for the journey, but don't let fear of the unknown prevent you from taking the first step. That's what God asks us. I think one of the best definitions of discipleship that I've ever heard is Eugene Peterson. It's a long obedience in the same direction. And just to think what, what is the most important step you can take? And it's not just the first one, it's the next one and the next one, and the next one, and trusting that God will give light for the journey. That's what he does. So that'd be my recommendation. Oh boy, Joe, while you were talking, I felt my shoulders kind of just dropping like away from my ears. Just I, that is such a, what feels like an exhale of just, I don't have to have it all figured out. I don't have to know what God's going to be doing in my life when I'm in my forties. I just need to know What's going to happen next? Taking my next step. And I love the illustration of walking with a lamp um, that speaks so much to just the peace that we have when we follow Jesus and take that next step. Uh, thank you for sending us out with that. I love that that's kind of our parting note for today and what hopefully brings just so much hope for our listeners, for our friends that are tuning in and um, that they will go with as well. So Joe, thank you for this dialogue today. I'm so glad people got to know you and hear your story. And maybe someday we'll get to hear from you again. But for now, um, yeah, thanks so much. And I'm excited for our listeners to get to um, hear this series continue on how we kind of approach this conversation of um, what do we do when we are in this space of wanting to ask these big questions about um, where God might send us next and take our next step. So thanks for listening today, everyone. And we will um, hear from you soon. 
Thanks for making time for our discussion today. If you've got questions or feedback, send us a DM on our Instagram at Relentless Pursuit Podcast or contact us through our website at RelentlessPursuitPodcast.com. You are not alone in the relentless pursuit of God's glory. We are here with you and are passionate about helping you take your next step.